I wanted to start with Thailand. I'm going to end with Thailand. I've been to Thailand a few times now. How many, how many of you have ridden a, an elephant? Okay, a few of you, good. I have ridden an elephant. You get to know about elephants in Thailand. And uh, as you go around, there are things that happen with elephants. And I, I noticed at the pools, the public pools, there were signs that said, no elephants allowed. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, you know, that was a curious sign, and it was a curious thing. And so um, I asked one of the people that could speak English, a local, I said, what, what's this deal with the sign that says, no elephants allowed? And he said, well, they're always dropping their trunks. Tim, where did Tim go? He ran away. Tim, Tim went downstairs. I was going to tell Tim, I'm just glad that Nathan said sugar lump. <laughs> no, I wanted, to, I wanted to follow the master, and then he, he told a better joke this morning than I could. Hey, I want to tell you about UB Global and uh, all that we're doing, but before I get there, I'd like to talk about missions in general. How many of you know Family Circus, and you remember the, car the cartoon? Everybody, a lot of young people are going, what is Family Circus? It was in the newspaper, and you would go, and you'd look, and there'd be this family with how many kids? Eight, 12, I don't know. Just kids all over, four I saw, and, and mom and dad, and they just always had something fun and, and, and just humorous about life, right? Just in one frame. But they often had this, this uh, cartoon where everybody would be journeying and you'd watch the path of where they've gone. And I think this is like missions in my mind. I've got two pictures to show you. Um, you know, that's really what's happened this past week for me is, you know, we are doing very different things. Matt and I are kind of close. We do some of the things, but Matt's doing water projects and he's bringing water to the world. He's changing cultures and he's changing communities with that great thing. The, the stones are in, in Hon or I'm sorry, in, in, in British Honduras. They are in Belize and they are uh, are working with families and women and rescuing women out of these desperate situations and they're opening their doors and just pray that those women start coming for them. Nathan is, as he said, he's in his backyard. He's, he's working 60 plus hours a week and he's really doing things with youth. He's impacting people on a regular basis. I'm going to tell you what UB Global is doing, but you know, only God can organize these things. You know, missionaries sometimes get competitive. Did you know that? And missiologists, you know what? We start thinking we know which way it ought to go. And then we see somebody else doing something, and we say, you shouldn't be doing that, you should be doing this. You know, God never thinks that way. God gave me a picture one time. Um, it wasn't a vision. It was just a picture, a mental picture. And I saw missions as this big ball of yarn, all messed up and intertangled. And I'm a kind of an engineering mind, and I like things to be orderly and neat. And, I, and I started, when I started with missions, I started trying to categorize, okay, this is kind of the category of this mission, this kind of category. I was trying to figure it all out. And eventually, God just helped me to see, there's so much going on in the world of missions. You have no idea. Missions is happening right now all over the world all the time. And the only person that can organize it is sovereignly the Lord God himself. And I hope that gives you hope, and I hope that gives you joy, and I hope that gets you stirred up because God is always at work, and he's the only one that can organize this ball of mess. But I do want to help you to understand the kind of the ball of mess that UB Global is. UB Global is the international arm of the United Brethren Church. And so we are in Huntington thinking of you often. I know sometimes it might feel like we're far away, but we are actually always praying, engaging, and trying to figure out how we move forward the church and bless the church, and we are always thinking about how we move forward world mission. That's our role at UB Global. One of the layers of the yarn ball is that we work with all the international national conferences. So we don't have a national conference in Belize, but we do in Honduras, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Jamaica, we, have, we work with people in Africa, Asia, 
Europe, we are interdoing and we do that together from the United States with Canada in partnership. That's one of our layers. Another layer is that we endorse missionaries. And so when you find a great missionary that you love and you come to UB Global, we will talk with them. We call it vetting them. We'll find out what they're good at. And then we'll offer those people to other UB churches so that they can support them. Another layer is that we have individual workers that are not working on our particular fields. And you are involved with this. Ruth Rivera originally was in Africa. And because of circumstances, she had to come home. But she is now doing a mobile dentist work, uh, uh, ministry, and th this, uh, you see that she was just in El Salvador, and uh, I wanted to see if it was cut off on your screen. Uh, she was just in El Salvador, and you are supporting that layer of what we do. Those aren't our made fields, but if you were going to unravel this whole ball, and I was going to get you to the main thread of what UB Global does, this is what we think we're the best at, and this is what we think God has us for uh, our whole denomination, because we believe this is our history. In 1853, the United Brethren Church sent their first missionary to Sierra Leone, West Africa. Do you know how risky that was? Do you know that that was frontier mission? That in that moment, the person that left on that ship knew they probably weren't coming home. And in fact, our first missionaries died on the field. That's who we'd been. And so as we start to think about who we've been, we, we think about reaching people that have never been reached before by the gospel message. You know, it's hard to believe. I understand that it's hard to believe, but there are many millions of people in the world that do not have access to our Christian faith. They may have heard about Jesus, but they have no one there to witness what it really means to follow Jesus and to walk in a way that is Christian. No, absolutely no idea. And there are pockets in the world that haven't even heard. I know it's hard to fathom. That's where we go. There's a, uh, actually uh, uh, an Indian uh, scholar who at one point uh, several years ago, he, he mapped out uh, this area of the world called the 1040 window. It's from 10 degrees longitude to 40 degrees longitude. And in that window exists most of the unreached peoples of the world. And in those places, if you look at that window and you see those places, you'll see that we are not welcome in many of them. But that's where we're going. So if you see the star on Africa, that would represent our work in, in Matru in, in uh, Sierra Leone. If you look to the next door, I'm going to talk to you about that. That's uh, Thailand. Actually, I have a pointer on here, don't I? Yes, so this would represent Thailand. Macau, you probably have heard of that ministry. Now, what are these stars out in the middle of the ocean? Those are called restricted fields that we don't tell you because we don't publicize where our missionaries are for their safety, their well-being. But we have two missionaries in two countries that are ministering to people that probably would not be able to be there if, if the governments knew exactly what they were doing. And the little star is what we're starting new. It's called the Shoptar people. It is a made-up name. We made it up. It is not truly what the people is called, or it's not truly what they're called, but we go to them, and we do not reveal who they are. And so that's our piece of thread that we believe as a, a denomination we should be proud of. We are going to the people that people are not going to, and I hope that you will join us in these efforts. Now, I want to hone down onto Thailand, like I told you, and, and that's the work that I oversee. And so you are involved in Thailand, if you know it or not. You support the Pachecos. This is Milton and Erica Pacheco. This is their uh, picture from several years ago, but you need to see an updated picture. That's this one here. Don't mind that hand. That was just a presentation that I did at another time, but I love that picture of them with their new son, Lucas, who they are 
adopting, and they're, start, they're finishing that adoption even as we speak. That is going on, and we're trying to get them back to Thailand. They're in Honduras currently. So uh, this is their latest picture in January at the National Conference in Honduras. And uh, so there they are as a family, and they've been out of Th Thailand since May, but we're hoping to get them back by April with their son in tow. Along with them, you are committing to support the Pacheco family. They will not, you, have any of, how many of you, uh, what's that? Oh, I'm sorry, Nunez, thank you. How many of you met, have met the Pachecos? Oh, yes. How many of you have met the Nunezes? Okay, why? We've been working for a year and a half to get the Nunezes to the United States. Three times the U.S. consulate in, in Honduras has denied us the ability to get them visas so they can come here. And so we are sending them directly to Thailand. We need you to be praying for them, supporting them, not just giving them money. We're thankful for the support. But you need, to, you need to adopt them. Think about it this way. They're going to a country where they don't speak Thai. The way you learn Thai is to have English understanding. You learn Thai by going to English teaching schools. They are very basic in their English. So that's why we wanted to bring them to the States besides support rating. And they speak Hispanic, or they speak Spanish, which is very little spoken throughout Thailand. And they're boys as well. Will you be praying with them and praying for us as we send them? We believe God is engaging them in Thailand, and we want to send them. There's their picture of, now this is our work in Thailand. This is the city of Shang Rai, and uh, we're honing in on our Good Soil Community Center. It is a community center where we bring people into our community center to teach them. Uh, to do activities. Um, we're right in the middle of a million-person city. And so this is not rural. And, and Thailand is not undeveloped. Thailand is a developed country. I want you to see some pictures of what we do. This is us in a school. We're working with uh, people uh, with disabilities. These are our professionals that are setting a path to where we are going back in the summer to do this again. This is Fa. She is one of our Thai national workers, and I have her frozen so you can see her because she signed up to be an administrator. She is now a Bible teacher. She didn't know she would be. She teaches the children every week, and she loves it. God has gifted her. We are so thankful for Fa. Here you see Erica, and Erica is long ago cooking. You see what we do? We do just normal stuff. We do normal stuff. She's cooking with the, these are our older people that are, are part of the journey. We now have a full kitchen and we're so happy that when she goes back, she gets to utilize this full kitchen that we have on the second floor. We sing, we do music, we now have a studio on our second floor that Milton Pacheco has set up so that people can come and learn to sing, they can learn things at our center, and they have benefit for coming into us because we are building relationships with Thai Buddhist people. Imagine if someone built a temple in Greencastle, a Buddhist temple. Would you go there? We're asking them to come to us and we're offering them opportunities for their children from their families so that we can build relationships so that we might have an opportunity to help them understand who Jesus Christ is. They might be able to understand what it is to be around a Christian person. And so you see here, arts and crafts, you see that's Christmas. If you got a chance to see kind of around the room, we are so excited because we had 126 Thai Buddhist people for Christmas in this little space, about the same size as the back of the uh, auditorium here, after the wall there in the, in the opening. Our space is about that, so 126 Thai Buddhists along with our staff. They, they had to go outside. We are so excited about the favor that God is giving us with the people. Now, this last picture that you're seeing, COVID did a great thing for us. I know COVID was bad, right? I understand, but God did some amazing things in our experience, and he sent us out into people's homes, and we established 
opportunities in people's homes. On the video, you, if you read it, it says we are visiting 14 families. Now we have 30 that we visit on a monthly basis. This is Uncle Bon. I was in his house just less than two weeks ago. Uncle Bon wants to die. He wants to die. John, who you see ministering to him, John wants to make sure before he dies that he has salvation with Jesus Christ. And boy, does John have a heart for God. And he preaches the gospel to Uncle Bon. I told the story, but, but John is our preacher. We're so thankful to have a national Thai staff person like John. Now, as you're finishing up this video, what I want to say to you is you have the opportunity to make a difference as well. We would love to have you come and join us on a trip. Our trips fortify our ministry and our relationships. When we come from around the world, people get interested about why we're there, and we're able to build relationships but really fortify the relationships that are already being built. So we have three opportunities. I am just going to flash these across the screen. These are, op these are op uh, available to us at my table in the back, but we will do something with people of disabilities in the summer. Also, English Camp, Fowlerville, our ch church in Michigan will help guide that that ministry as they have been uh, very involved in this ministry in Thailand. And then finally, in October, I do have one person in your congregation who told me they might be interested in October. If you wanted to go to Thailand, I would suggest to your church October would be a great option because Devonshire is also going. Uh, Pastor uh, De Derek Thrush was there last year, and he is organizing his church body. It'd be a great time for you to come and join us. That's about Thailand. Let's get to the word of God. Last week, I was on a plane. When I got on my first airplane, I remember going, do you realize how small we are? This is a pretty good-sized church, right? You go up 1,500 feet in the air, and it's nothing, right? It's just itty-bitty, and then we're the itty-bitty ones inside. I love to go on a plane because it helps me to keep humble. It helps me to keep perspective. On my way home, as I was beginning to think about what I would share from the Word with you, as we look at this theme of we priest Christ crucified, I was looking out, kind of getting that place of, well, God humbled me again, God humbled me again, and God said, you know, I want to talk to you, Steve, about something other than just humility. I want to talk about what it means to be egocentric with you, and I want you to share this with others, this idea of seeing the world through my own lenses, seeing the world the way I think they should be, seeing God work the way I think they sh God should work, because, see, God doesn't necessarily always work the way we think he should. But we start to put him into categories and we start to have experiences and we start to say to God, this is the way, and we say to other people, this is the way God works. And you know, all of a sudden, God doesn't work exactly what we thought he was gonna do. And sometimes we actually get angry with him because he's not repeating what he's done before, but God always is doing something new. He doesn't always use old wineskins. He does new wineskins. And so today, this word egocentric, do you know what it's really talking about? It's talking about, you know, as I look at the world and I look at all these people that Pastor just talked to us about, all the different pigments of our skin and all of our color, all of our culture, all of our language, we see it all through this picture of my own filter. Actually, Titus, or not Titus, I'm sorry, Nathan Boggs discussed this on Friday night, this kind of selfish perspective that we just all just have. And when it comes to missions, you know what you have to do? You have to just totally blow that out of the water. If you will get involved with mission work, with, with cross-cultural ministry, you will have to face the fact that you are an egocentric person. That doesn't mean you're narcissistic. That doesn't, but all of us, all of us tend to look at our own path. Now today, the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. 
foolishness for those who are carrying but for those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the statement that Paul wants every one of us to understand, and he's speaking to a problem church. He's speaking to a church in, in 1 Corinthians, and by the way, do you know when churches have problems, that's not unusual? Will you, will you just do me a favor? I don't have much time today, but I want you to do me a favor. When this church all of a sudden has a problem you didn't expect and it starts to get hard, will you not just bug out? Because churches have problems too. We are human beings. And if you will wait on God and if you will work through the problems, you will grow in your relationship with God. You will grow in your relationship with others and it will be to the glory of God and you will see that God gets us through the problems. The first Corinthian church is having problems and Paul is seeking to get them through it. Here's part of the problem or just a synopsis of the problem. They are living in, in, in a Greek mind. And in the Greek mind, the way you attain salvation or the way you attain, um, not really salvation, but enlightenment is to follow wisdom, is to follow a person who can teach you wisdom. And so Paul gets word that there's this division within the church in Corinth and they're saying, some say, I follow Paul. Others says, I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas and I follow Christ. And when they're saying that, what they're saying is, this is my path of the person I follow. And Paul says, no, no, no. Now look at those words. What are the most important words in each other's statement? Only three words in each, in each sentence. Well, you could say it's the direct object. It's the people, right? Paul, significant, significant person in the, in the scriptures. Cephas, Apollos. If you don't know Apollos, he was an elegant speaker in the first century. And obviously Christ. But you know what? Paul says none of those guys were having problems. They weren't trying to get someone to follow them. I, 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 I've heard of your history. There was a time when someone kind of did that here, right? It's like kind of follow me instead of follow him. No, that's not the problem here. Well, maybe the key word here is follow. Maybe it's about following. You know what? It's, this is not like following in a discipleship way. This is saying, I think that person is the smartest in the room, and so I'm going to do what they're saying. No, it's not really about following. It's actually this one pronoun, I. You see that egocentric matrix? I proclaim what is the best way. What God is showing himself through. I say it's Paul. I say it's Apollos. I say it's Cephas. I, I say it's Christ. Boy, what a, what a polished position that is. You see, but Paul read right through it. It's division. It's this egocentric way of looking at God's work. And Paul will have none of it, and God will have none of it. For it is written, I will destroy, this is God speaking, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. And then Paul says it this way. Where is the wise man? He's speaking to the Greeks right now. Because the Greeks seek wisdom. And then he says, where is the expert in the law? Who is he speaking to now? I hear you saying it, the Jews. They were the experts in the law, right? And then he kind of wraps them all together. Where is the philosopher of this age? Who's the, the, the biggest and the wisest? Let me tell you, no matter what your egocentric system of what you think it ought to be, the way you think God ought to work, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. And how has he done that? For since the wisdom of the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the wisdom of what was preached. 
what was preached to save those who are convinced, to save those who understand. No, to save those who believe, who have faith to say, I see what God has done and I believe in God's system and I humble myself to wrap myself around what he has said to us. Greeks look for wisdom. I, I, I live among the Greeks. I live among the Greeks. I live in some of the most educated area of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, the, the church I go to, there are doctors, there are lawyers, there are professors. It, it is, I live among the Greeks. Any of you upset that there wasn't an outline in your bulletin today? Uh, I, I, I am not a Greek-minded person, but you know what? We're one of two, usually we're used one or two. Greeks want this. They say, I want to know, I want to understand. If I understand God, then I'll be able to relate to him better. If I understand more, and you, that's why you want, you want to be able to put the answers in your sheet, right? Because I want to have that. That's what I'm gaining. And God says, hey, you know what? That's not the way. It's not bad to learn. It's not bad to grow close to God. It's not bad to grow in discipleship. But when it comes to actually salvation, when it comes to understanding what God has done for us, it's not just about knowing. That's the Greeks. The Jews demand miraculous signs. That's who I am. I'm a, I'm a Jewish thinker. Okay? I, I don't like, I, I don't know, I didn't know what I was going to say. I'm going to try to get done this really quick. Okay, I'm, I'm all right. All right, miraculous signs, thank you. The Jews, the Jews demand miraculous signs. Uh, that's what I would like. I'd like God to powerfully work in this room today. I'd like him just to swoop in with the Holy Spirit. Asbury's having a revival. I went to Asbury to go see the professors that experienced the revivals, and I'm, I'm missing the one that's going on now because I'm in Thailand, I'm in Pennsylvania. That's where I want to see God working in your life. I want to see him do powerful things. You know what God says to the Jews? Actually, you know what he did for him when Jesus came? What did he do? He demonstrated power. He demonstrated power and might and miraculous signs. And what did they do? They yelled, crucify him. We preach Christ crucified. Friends, at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the cross, we are all equal. God in his foolishness sacrificed his own son. The wise person will say, that's foolish that's abs that that's ridiculous the person that seeks the signs to see god will say it's absurd that's what the jews say it's absurd to say that jesus christ would be put on a cross god would never hang him on the cross that is a place of scorn and despise god's son would never die there and yet that's exactly what god did so that our wisdom might be overdone by his power and his wisdom. You see, that's what Jesus Christ is. He is the power and his, he is the wisdom. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And when we're in mission context, the danger is that we might start to just try to teach people how to do good life. Love God and love others. That's great for discipleship. It's horrible for salvation. Or we might want to Declare God or Jesus as the ultimate king, the ultimate conqueror. That happened in the Middle Ages, didn't it? It's the black eye of the church. No, we preach Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Read this with me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see what happens in that verse, what Paul does for us? He allows it to be about us. God did all that for all of the world, but he also did it for you. You, 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 and me. At the foot of the cross, we are all equal. At the throne in heaven, we are all equal. And every tribe and every people will be there if we will preach Christ crucified.